Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. My guest today is one of the biggest names in the women's pro peloton, and I mean that both literally and figuratively. I'm talking, of course, about Cassia Nviadoma. In our chat, we discuss growing up in an idyllic mountain village in southern Poland and how those steep local roads helped her develop into the top climber she is today. Guess that snack and the hometown quiz return, but never mind how Cassie got on, folks. The real question is, can I accurately pronounce her hometown? Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Sims Cassia Nuiadoma has won the prestigious Amstel Gold Race. She's been Polish National Road Race and Time Trial Champion, been the Under-23 Road Champion of Europe, and she's got a growing palmares of impressive results for her team, Canyon Shram. In our chat, we discuss everything from getting into cycling as a teenager with something to prove to the oldest non-religious dwellings of her hometown. In a quiz which I wrote and somehow managed to lose. Check it out. Cassia, lovely to uh, lovely to hear your voice. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for thinking of me and inviting me on the podcast. No, no worries at all. F- first and foremost, Cassia, if it's okay with you, yeah. What I, what I like to do to set the scene a little bit is if you could tell us. I, I think I pretty much know where you are, but if you could tell the listeners where you are in the world, and also if you could describe your immediate surroundings, so what room are you in and what you can see? Uh, okay, so right now I'm in Girona, Spain. I just finished my training camp with my team and now it's time just to rest and chill on my own. I mean, with my boyfriend in my apartment. Right now I'm in the living room on the floor, basically just rolling my legs, constantly doing something with my body. Okay. <laughs> And yeah, I'm looking looking through the window. Um, sun is setting, so it's really nice outside. Sky is kind of pinkish, I would say. It's really beautiful. It is. I mean, I'm a big fan of Girona. It is an absolutely yeah. beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, I know. You've um, spoken to lots of people over the last couple of years about, well, last, it seems like a couple of years, so a year and a half about this, about this current situation. But um, what is the kind of update in terms of the restrictions that you are faced with in Girona at the moment? So what, what, what's your kind of freedom of coming and going like at the moment? Um, so to be honest, in comparison to, to lockdown or the first quarantine that we had in March, I feel very free right now because okay. I can go out, I can train, I can easily walk down the street, no one is checking me. So to be honest, I feel like uh, there's not much going on over here. Of course, there are the restrictions regarding restaurants or gyms and other public places. But if you want to just go out and enjoy riding a bicycle, just running or doing other sports, you're totally free and no one no one can say anything to you unless uh, you leave after 10 p.m. or before 6 a.m. Because we have curfew until I think beginning of May that we cannot, we cannot leave the house after 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. in the morning. So... That's like, yeah, but it still doesn't bother me. I mean, if you want to just go out for dinner with your friends, you probably need to be careful too. 
to not uh, come too late. I mean, especially with the Spanish style, everyone starts eating around 8 or 8.30. So yeah. I feel like the government is trying to change their habits, you know, because also the restaurants are opening a time that normally people wouldn't go out. <laughs> of course, yeah, because Sp- I mean, I remember spending time in, um, in Girona and the families would be out at like midnight. They'd eat kind of nine or 10 o'clock <laughs> normally. And then I would be going to bed, which I thought would be quite late midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And still there's children playing, families eating. Because yeah. it, culturally, it's such a big, sh- must be such a big shock to them. Seriously. Because it's like suddenly the restaurants are available or they can open at 7.30 until 9.30. And normally Spanish people would go out at like 11 to get like a late breakfast for example so it's funny to like it seems that everyone is changing their routine just so they can socialize with their friends or just get out of the house legally let's say fair enough fair enough i mean just i mean how how are you how are you feeling right now i know you've managed to from what i can see on on social media you've managed to meet up with your teammates and and Mm -hmm. had the training camp how did the training camp go it was really nice i mean it's to be honest, it's I feel like it's always nice to like limit traveling and I was able to just stay home and commute to work, let's say, but just like joining the team in the morning and doing all the trainings and other meetings with them and then being able to come back home. Uh, we've got a couple new riders, so I feel like it's such a great addition to our team to have like a new energy, new um like motivation because sure. I feel like they're coming from a completely different environment and they are so stoked about simple things that we forget to be excited about because we've had it for so long. So it's really nice to see that actually all those little details that our team is taking care of is very special. And like for me, for example, it was so nice to to just see that they want to become the best you know they they they're like driven with with passion and like they want to suffer they want to do more they're always happy to i don't know be active to improve themselves and uh especially michaela i feel like she's young girl but very strong and i do believe that she's gonna have amazing season yeah and yeah it was just nice to kind of feel that I'm young again you know (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a really a really interesting point because obviously I've spent I've been very very lucky to spend uh, quite a bit of time over the last couple of years with the team and it really is such an amazing atmosphere that you've fostered I mean and generally speaking over the last few years you've always had the same nucleus of riders and you've been a, a theme for, for this is your fourth fourth year yeah, the, exactly. but there's only there's only a little bit of movement so and you obviously get used to it and um I always comment to people when they ask me about the team that you know there's a real family atmosphere but they don't want for anything I mean in terms of the way you're looked after in, in compared to a lot of the other women's world tour teams you are one of the best teams and 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 for you to hear you express the, the delight that other other women are coming to the team and seeing it for the first time, it's kind of almost like a childlike wonder, isn't it? It's a, it must be really quite special. Yeah, it is exactly. And um, so, what 
what about the? I mean, you've got Elise Shabby coming into the team as well, and yeah. a very a very young rider as well in Neve Bradbury, who's the the winner of the yeah. Zwift Academy. Now I know she obviously can't make it; she's in Australia, but she is looks like a very very exciting rider indeed. Exactly, I'm really looking forward to to meeting her. Uh, we've been following the race that she did in Australia, and yeah, she looks like a fighter, and I feel like she's going to be a great fit for our team. Uh, I have no idea, to be honest, when is she going to be able to come over to Europe, but yeah. I know that she's going to stay in Girona, so um, I will try to make sure that he, she feels at home. That's, that's right. I mean, uh, and because you're, again, you're still a very young woman, but you're one of the more experienced riders in the team now. How do you kind of, your position in the team, do you quite like uh, looking after the younger riders and trying to make them feel comfortable? Is that something that you've uh, become accustomed to, something you really enjoy? Uh, definitely. I really like hanging out with the young girls because, to be honest, I remember when I joined Rabobank and Anemi was always telling me that she likes to uh, spend a lot of time with the young riders because they remind her uh, about like the passion towards the sport and how excited they are about the little things. And at that time, I couldn't understand that because I was like, I'm, I think I'm doing less than you because you're way stronger than me. <laughs> and now, actually, I'm, I understand that because like over years, when you do the same thing, you kind of forget how it's not that you forget, but you don't enjoy simple things as much as you used to when you yeah. enter the sport. Like things are less excited because you know them by heart and like your position is just different in the sport. So I really feel that right now I'm taking this good energy from young riders by like getting excited again and just like purely happy about small things. And and, and just a quick one as well. We're looking at the lineup of your team. Obviously, you've lost a couple of riders, which is kind of normal to. And then you've still got Ella Harris, who's obviously a winner of the um, a previous winner of the Zwift Academy. And for your time in the team, you've gradually seen riders come into the team, winners of the Zwift Academy. What are your thoughts on that? Because it's something, there's nothing else like it in the world, but it has proved to be a success in relation to the riders that you've got on the squad. What are your thoughts on, on the whole Zwift Academy process? Um, I do believe that it's an amazing idea. It's an amazing project to to have and I'm super happy that actually it's, it's attached to our team because you can see that with every passing year the Swift Academy level is higher and higher mm. like um, I haven't been on a team when they started with Leah but I managed to race with her the, the second season and like I, I just could see that um, the riders are improving their level and it's not that there's a huge gap in between them and us racing on the road. Sure. Because of course, need some experience to feel comfortable in the bunch. But strength-wise, they're the same. They're amazing. I mean, I raced with myself and I know how difficult it is. <laughs> so it's like, I'm just, yeah, full of admiration to all those girls who decide to sign up for, for Swift Academy and they basically like want to chase their dream, drop her current lives and just follow something in your different passion and open a new chapter. And then they have to suffer on the Swift. So that's pretty amazing. 
no, it, and it, I say it is a it is a wonderful a wonderful wonderful project. And um, yeah, but um, just just for a moment now, what I'd like to do, if it's okay, is kind of rewind a little bit because what I'd like to learn a little bit about and what I don't know about you is um, your how you became how you got into cycling. Can you remember um, the first time? that you actually rode a bicycle back in back in your hometown in Poland all those kind of years ago can can you remember your first interactions with a bike um i yeah i mean i was i actually grew up riding a bicycle but definitely i do remember my first ride on a road bike okay and so it all started with my dad who just joined this local club and he was riding his bicycle for fun just to enjoy the time of the work with his friends and he kind of involved my brother into that uh he wasn't very keen to be riding with him but basically he had no choice because my dad he just wanted to have a son next to him okay and but i remember as a very competitive child i was like why i cannot try it and like for some reason they were af- my parents were afraid to let me just ride on the road but I was just building this desire inside me that I want to prove them that I'm going to be so good that finally they will let me go out on the road. And one day my dad just came back from his ride and I asked him if I could grab or take my brother's bag and we could go for a short ride around the town. And he agreed on that. And I just remember that I wanted to ride as hard as it's only possible just to like show my dad that he was wrong just to prove him wrong that he did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so how, that, that's amazing so how did you so clearly you must have been to be able to do that you must have been quite fit so were you where were you able to ride or did you do running or or, or, or were you just naturally uh, an outdoor kind of person just naturally yeah. strong I think like I just spent so much time outside I would never like I remember coming back from school and then like trying to do my homework as soon as possible just so I can go out and ride with my friends because uh, the place where I grew up, it's very it's very quiet town in the mountains in Poland. So we had this amazing access to, to the mountains, to the forest, to different trails and everything is open and was open. No one was asking you for permission to go somewhere. So you would sure. explore just like so much with my friends and basically all the time running or riding a bicycle. So I feel like naturally I just build this, if I could call it now shape. And also at school, I would um, go for this like run, run competitions or different. I would just do a lot of different sports. So I feel like it wasn't something strange for me to like suddenly make a huge effort because it was like a, on a daily on a daily basis. Sure. And so, what did your dad say? Was he impressed with you? Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was really stoked. He was very happy because then, like, a couple of days later, he just came back home with another road bike for me, and he said, "Like, okay, tomorrow is a race, and we're gonna race it together." Because it was like a really huge. So, you within that short amount of time, yeah. you, you were you were racing. How old were you at this point? Uh, I was like. 14, 14, something like this. Uh, It was a local race. It was a very small race, but my dad is also, hes I would say he's like me. When he wants something, he's going to get it. And it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to get you on the bike. So everything was arranged very easily and quickly. So 
yeah, a couple of days later, I was doing this race that I had no idea about. <laughs> I have to go as hard as it's possible. And I, I managed to win it with girls and boys. And then my first coach contacted wow, me. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, it started like this. So, yeah. to, to, to what to what happened next? So you basically won your first race. So you're still very young, still at school. So um, I, I take it you were just like like all of us. Once you yeah. ride and enjoy the bike, it, it's in, it's in your blood, isn't it? You know, you you want you want more. And I take it yeah. you grew hungry from that point and just wanted more and more. So actually, at that point, I was I just didn't know what I was doing. To be honest, it felt nice because suddenly all my friends and like. People that uh, I knew but I wouldn't really talk to, they were kind of congratulating me and like wanting wanting to hang out with me. So I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> and then uh, my first coach contacted me saying that, okay, in one month we're going to go for this training camp. Do you want to join us or not just to see uh, like who you are and what can you do on a bike? And to be honest, at that point, I was like, sweet, like, I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to like get out of my town. I'm going to explore. I was more interested in actually just like exploring the world. Sure. Not really wanting to be a cyclist. Because at this training camp, I remember that I just wanted to, you know, have fun with people. I wasn't thinking about training. I wasn't thinking about becoming cyclist. Wow. So at... So what were the opportunities like at, at that point? I mean, it, it clearly there was a, a reasonable kind of structure in place, but uh, being a young woman growing up in Poland, I mean, um, at what point did you think, or can you remember the point where you thought, I would really like to see how good I, I can become? Or what was the process then to becoming good internationally and then ultimately um, turning professional? I feel like the first, the first, like the moment when I realized that I'm, I think I'm quite good was that, I would always, uh, like, because we would have those training camps, like, uh, men and women, girls and boys at that time. Sure. And I would always make it in the first group with the guys where the girls would be dropped or they would never make it. And I would never, like, feel that I really have to, like, make a huge effort to make it happen. So then, of course, I got some recognition from my coach saying, like, oh, that's that's, that's pretty good. Like, let's check your values. And then they started to do this VO2 max test and they were pretty happy with what they saw. And I feel like just like having my coach and my dad being stoked about my quick progress. And I don't know, just like, to be honest, I I'd still at that point, I was like, I don't want to be cyclist. I just wanted to meet people. That's all. Okay. And then... It, it it just lasted for like two years that my dad was pushing me, I would say, to, to still stick to that sport, to go out for trainings. And I would train with him quite a lot, almost every day, I would say. Yeah. But it was like, okay, I'm finishing high school and I'm finishing with cycling because I want to go to the university. Okay. And then I got selected for European Championships in Ofida. It was in Italy. And that was the moment that I was like, oh my goodness, I want to do it. I just want to be the best because it was the first time that I actually saw how cycling looks like in Europe, you know, not just in Poland, how good girls are and how everything, how the teams were, how teams were professional and like just 
everything looked amazing to me because like in Poland we wouldn't have access to like I don't know everything looked differently I don't want to sure. say that we didn't have like the best mechanics or we for example would never have physio we we would never train with power meter or any sort of bike device it was okay. training by feeling my coach would be like uh go for two hours ride 60 percent but I would never know what 60% is, you know? <laughs> it's, But I, in, in many ways, though, I mean, it's lovely that you, in the first formative years of, of you kind of growing up and, and developing as a rider, I think that's actually quite beautiful that you could you just learn to ride on feel because there's so many riders coming through immediately. It's all about data, which is obviously important to, yeah. to look at. But the fact that you... You understand how to manage your body. You know, we can never put a number to a sixty percent, seventy percent, but uh, for you to learn that very early on, I think that's a really, really good thing. Yeah, and just when you said that, I actually realized that now I understand why, why sometimes everybody have a trouble with like following my strict program. Let's say on training peaks. Okay, because <laughs> you you like you just like to just do it on feel. You just like to, you just kind of you're somebody who yeah. can un- understand your body. Yeah, that thanks to my first coach, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then, obviously, you the first the first pro team was Rabobank, uh, Rabobank Live, wasn't it? And they, and you were there for four years. Exactly. Yeah, I um, my first contact with Rabobank was during Holland Ladies Tour in 2013, and that was actually crazy because I remember like not knowing anything about cycling and then I just like googled uh woman cycling or something like this and then I had Marianne Voss pop it in <laughs> oh, amazing. And I was like oh man like wish I could like ride with her one day um yeah and then like in two years time I was her teammate so that was cool I remember thinking like oh my goodness if you really want something and you really believe in it you can achieve it that's amazing. I mean, it's it's interesting because when I was when I was young, it was a long, long time ago. But growing up at home, I was always aware of professional cycling. It was although I cycled uh, with my father a lot, I was always aware of the Tour de France and all the good riders. But it's interesting. You just rode your bike because it made you feel good and you liked it, and then later you discovered about the. The yeah. professional side. It's quite interesting. I mean, that it must have been a real uh, a real eye opener for you. Oh yeah, definitely. But in a good way. I I remember being so mesmerized and I remember doing so many research just to like find out how to train better, how to like what what actually what are the factors that make you a good cyclist? Like I wouldn't take care of my weight, for example. I wouldn't like rest well and then I was like, Oh my goodness, there are so many things that I can improve. So like I can do it. <laughs> and obviously you're you're still only you're still only 26 which seem, I mean you seem like if you don't mind me saying Cassie yeah. it seems like you've been around for a long long time. But you're still only 26 but during the time that you have been at the top level you know the women's side of cycling has changed almost yeah. it's almost unrecognizable and I I've, I've observed it from a distance and what's it been like for you seeing every year the sport just get better and better and more professional and i still i still think there's a lot of work to be done yeah. but the sport is really heading in, in the right direction isn't it it is definitely i mean just like seeing how other teams are developing is amazing 
Um, before, I would say that there were two, three teams that they could win a race. And now, basically, each team has a rider that is able to to cross the finish line first. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, everyone trains hard. It's You know, no one wants to just be a cyclist. Everyone wants to win a race. And you can feel that in the peloton. Like, before, I would say that somehow it was easier to fight for your position, for example, during the classic races or... Like moving in the peloton was way easier. Where now everyone knows what they want to do, and everyone is fighting so much, and it's very hectic and nervous in the peloton. So you feel that everyone really cares about what they are doing, and they really want to achieve their goals. Mm. And level is definitely higher. It's you really need to train hard right now too. I mean, because I mean, I I, I guess along with the sport kind of progressing and the level getting higher, um, there's also, I mean, thankfully within cycling, although we've had a couple of problematic years, there's far far more opportunities for women to ride bikes as well. It's, yeah. you know, that I think it's the access to, <clears throat> you know, the access exactly. to bikes. Um, so there's just more and more. You, I guess we're casting the net far wider. So yeah. the standard is just getting, you know, higher and higher all the time, which is only a good yeah. thing, isn't it? Definitely. And also, like, when you look at our calendar, before we would just have a couple, couple important races. And now with Ardennes Classics and Strade Bianchi and, like, all the time we get those extra opportunities to actually show up, you know. So that's also cool. I mean, looking at last year, of course, um, everybody, as we know, we all want to forget 2020, really, don't we? <laughs> because it was, you know, it was a horrible year. But how did you, obviously, your first race, like like most people, a few, a few people, a few of the guides obviously managed to race early on. But your first race was Strada Bianca on, on the mm-hmm. first, of, first of August. Yeah. And then there was a lot of racing, closely compacted. I'd say it was like a very dense period of racing. How yeah. did you cope with that? Because normally... The women's calendar is quite evenly spread over the year. There's not too much overlap, but you had this yeah. really condensed period of racing. How did you cope with that? Um, to be honest, I had some hard time, like just starting with Freddie Bianchi in August. Uh, it was super hot race, and I just, I just don't cope well when it gets hot. And yeah. I remember just suffering, like my body was shutting down, didn't want to do it, wasn't listening to me, basically. And then, like, I had some bad luck with other races and crashes because I felt like so many teams were thinking that that race is going to be our last race. So everyone wants to, of course, get a result to buy yeah. sponsors. So it was very hectic at the beginning, very nervous. And... Actually, I would say that finally with Giro, everything kind of um, became smoother and people chilled out and we were racing like we used to race years before. So I think like that race was really good one for our team. We managed to finish it on the podium and yeah, and then we moved to European, not European, to Worlds and our dance. And to be honest, I was just, cooked i was empty i wasn't able to recover after zero i was really done because it was like i would say that i was training so much before we started to race because all the time i had this hope that okay we're gonna start racing now or next week in two weeks or whatever yeah so so i guess there was no real 
because you were t- there's so much of the unknown, and I, I think across the board, you know, riders, men and women, kind of struggled because they didn't know when the season would start. Yeah. So as a baseline, you're going to still want to keep a reasonable level of fitness, and that comes at a cost. Keeping reasonably fit is yeah. going to tire you out, isn't it? There's going to be fatigue. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. And what about the mental side of it? Because, you know, everybody's kind of suffering in their own ways. How do you, like last year in particular, you spent a lot of time in lockdown, as we all did. Yeah. How did you kind of, how did you cope with that? What kind of strategies did you kind of use to kind of try and keep yourself calm and focused and, mm-hmm. and in a reasonable place? So to be honest, like before you said that 2020 was a horrible year that everyone wants to forget it. I understand that. And Luckily, from my side, I'm happy to say that it was for me. It was okay because none of my family members or my friends were sick. They all sure. were, stayed healthy, and I stayed healthy. And also, that year was like a time for me to disconnect from everything. Like during quarantine, I kind of had a time to just uh, reflect over my life and be sure that okay, this is what I'm. The thing that I'm doing is something that I truly love and I'm passionate about and I don't want to just like drop it in a couple of years because before that I would sometimes struggle mentally in a way that I would feel very overwhelmed with the pressure and like this chase to for the victories and like constant rush to get somewhere and to do something and like I started to kind of feel unhappy in a weird way. I still mm. win races but I didn't know what I was doing it for. And thanks to quarantine, I was like, oh my goodness, that's the time that I actually can disconnect from everyone and everything and just rest my body, rest my mind. And I gave myself a couple days, I would say even weeks. And after that, I feel like I started to feel myself again. I feel like I... I've got the goals that I really want to achieve and I set those goals because I want them, not because I need to say something when I get interviewed, for example, you know? Of course. So. I guess it's, a, I guess it's a, a, for many of us, and it's interesting you say that, I think, and, and there are people that I've kind of listened to in the news and on podcasts or whatever yeah. who actually found found something quite special in, in 2020. It's that a re- yeah. rediscovering the simpler things in life. And, and for me, it was... exactly. Uh, just looking at I know it sounds kind of it kind of sounds soppy but it's not it's just looking at nature and the way we were locked down in spring I hardly rode my bike outside apart from Zwift but I would go for a walk and over a period of six weeks I would see the blossom coming out and 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 it was it was something that I never really looked at before and just looking at nature was like so powerful and it actually it kind of helped me you know (laughs) yeah exactly oh my goodness speaking of nature i i remember first rides after lockdown like i felt that everyone was just so purely happy outside you could feel that energy that you know people were breathing so fully and everyone was just like exploding with a good energy and yeah, going for rides, especially towards the mountains, was like one of the best and the most beautiful experience from 2020 for sure. Oh, definitely. And d- b- b- before we finish talking about 2020, did you discover anything new? Was there some? Was there another interest that you found, or did you, through that time, find something new about yourself or another kind of interest? Definitely, uh, I got. I really got into baking and cooking. Okay. In 2020, I feel like. Okay, so sometimes I would 
kind of not struggle with my mind but just I would get so busy in my head I would overthink so many different things and I would get recommended that I just need to start meditating okay that thing would never help me I would feel that okay I sit down but basically I'm wasting my time I would just even get more irritated or frustrated with I even don't know what and then I just kind of was always looking for something that could help me calm down and like just steal my thoughts. But it was, it seemed like it was always unreachable. And, and during quarantine, when of course we had nothing else to do other than getting groceries and baking and cooking, I realized mm. that actually I really like it. And I could spend like hours in the kitchen completely zoning out. Like, yeah. I would not think about that single thing. And then I was like, oh my goodness, like that's a pure pleasure to just like have a free mind and you make something that tastes good and you have a person who can eat that. And I realized that actually I love to also, I'm like a giver and that makes me feel good. And, yeah. you know, in our setting environment, it's very difficult to be a giver because you have to think about yourself because it's kind of, it's a team sport, that is, but it's also a very selfish sport because it oh, yeah. like evolves around you and you have to like rest and you have to do this or that for you, for your body. And like right now, knowing that actually I can do also something for others, it's like a healthy balance for me. That's really, really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, right. We've got um, the reason on our emails that I asked you the town you were brought up in, Cassia, is because yeah. there's a new thing on the podcast. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any, but it, I'm going to. There's going to be a quiz about your hometown. Now, you did say you're going to help me pronounce your hometown. Before yeah. you do, I'm going to try it first, and then you give me marks out of ten. Um, okay. Ohodnitsa Gorna. Wow, your <laughs> <laughs> <No> homework. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, on a scale from zero to ten, I give you nine. Oh wow, that's pretty good. I'm I'm very very happy. Thank you very much indeed. I had to do quite a lot. Of, I, I did, had to do quite a lot of digging. But what we've got now, we're going to ask you a few questions about your hometown. Wow. Don't worry, uh, it's only a multiple choice. So, <laughs> but but we do we have. Um, this is one of the reasons that Niall is on the uh, is in on the um, okay. the podcast. He he has created a little jingle. Take it away, Niall. Now it's time for the Hartley Chagornock quiz. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you what do you think of our jingle? Jingle? Yeah. That, that oh, a jingle is basically one of those little bits of music with like words. Oh in yeah. It. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay well anyway <laughs> is the place you were brought you're brought up in okay yeah. now okay i've got a question number one okay now originally and were one village yeah okay but when was the village founded Okay. Wow. Okay. So I've got I've got three uh, cho choices for you. So don't worry. Was it A, uh -huh. thirteen sixteen? Was it B, fourteen sixteen? Or was it C, fifteen sixteen? Is a hundred years apart. Which one was it? Wow. A <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't know. Fifteen <laughs> sixty. 
It's a good. It's a good guess. Unfortunately, it wasn't the right answer. It was fourteen sixteen. So sorry about that, Cassie. But don't worry, you can still you can still turn it around. Okay. Oh, right. Not let me in anymore after this quiz. Oh, right. So the the. Oh, Okay, here we go. Are you still rolling your legs? Uh, no, I just must do the table. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no worries. We, I don't think we've ever had anybody uh, do like stretching or rolling their legs during a, during a, a podcast. I, I, I think that's a first. Anyway, so, okay, question number two. Now, the, the oldest monument in uh, Ohodnitsa Gorna uh, is the Shepherd's Hut, which is called, if my pronunciation's right, Kunyetawa Kunyetawa Koliba. How does that sound? <laughs> I understand Koliba, but the first one, could you repeat the first word? Kornitovia. <laughs> okay. Anyway, in your town, there's a, a, a famous shepherd's hut. Okay. okay? Um, and it's the oldest non-religious building in, okay. in the town. Okay. But when was it built? Was it 1839? 1849 or 1859? <laughs> I go for 49. It was 39. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Right. Oh, no. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's cracking me. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Now, um, this is this is great. I've actually written a question and not written the answer. <laughs> So question three. Oh, I've got yeah. So basically, we, I got an answer. I got that wrong. Um, so I was going to because basically your your town was the longest village uh, town in the in the whole of Poland, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, uh, but it's been overtaken, hasn't it? Do you know the town that overtook it? Mm. Let me think. I knew it, but I forgot it, to be honest. Oh, don't worry. I, I can't find it on the internet anymore anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I will stick it. We'll find out what that is. Sorry about that. Oh, I've, I've, I was writing the quiz. I must have. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. But uh, but there we go. So we're going to give you the point back for me getting it wrong. So uh, you got one out of three there. So, um well, well done, Cassie, and, and apologies for not doing my homework properly and, and not finishing. But it's a very, it's a very interesting, it's a beautiful place. I mean, because um, it was about twenty-five kilometers long. I mean, um, yeah, exactly. and it's very, very hilly as well. I mean, it, it must have really helped you with your climbing ability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love it there. It's a great place to disconnect, to relax, and of course, the weather isn't the greatest throughout the year. But it's yeah, I love it there. It's. You know, it's for me it's still magical. Um, and how, how often do you, in in normal circumstances, do you try and get back to Poland? Uh, normally, I would go there like every three months for okay. one week to ten days. Okay. And have you taken Taylor over there a couple of oh, times? Yeah. yeah, we went there for Christmas last year, twenty twenty. Very very nice. Yeah. I mean. Actually, talking about talking about your your hometown of Poland, your 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 home your hometown and where you're from, where in the world? I mean, it's a, it, it's probably a question you've been asked before, but I'm always fascinated. Where, where in the world is your favourite place to ride your bike? Um, Livigno, definitely Livigno. Okay, in Italy, yeah. Italy, yeah. Tell me why. Um, 
I feel like I just fell in love with that place at the first sight. I came there for the training came in 2013 and I just felt that I am so free. I have never felt as free as that year over there. I just could go wherever I wanted and the mountains are so beautiful and the culture is amazing, food is delicious and you've got everything you ever wanted, you know. There's nothing that you could complain about. And yeah, I just feel that the freedom struck me the most. Just like feeling that the world is open and everything is in front of you. And if you want to get it, you have it. So I was just, I remember that I was enjoying just every single ride and the mountains would mesmerize me and I would never like to go back to the hotel, but just like kept riding and discovering and like feeling feeling free i guess and has the the um i mean excuse my ignorance but has the the women's giro the giro italia internazionale has that ever ever gone to has it gone through Livigno before uh, through bormio but so it's not too far away is yeah. it? yeah i mean it it went through Livigno in 2012 i think but i wasn't racing it okay okay 2011 i think Okay, and I'm going to ask you another favorite sort of question. And these are kind of run-of-the-mill questions, but I always like to ask: well, what What is your favorite race? What's the race that really you? I mean, obviously, you really get pumped for all of your, all the races. Uh-huh. I know you're very focused. But what's the one that's super special to you? Definitely Strada Bianchi. Okay, it's a race that I don't know. It's I love it. It's just I don't. Okay, the moment when I don't love it is just before the start like (laughs) I'm always like what am I doing here like why do I want to target this race I don't want to be here (laughs) but I guess it's normal but yeah this race is is amazing it's like you've got everything and I feel like just even though you don't win you feel so satisfied that you just like race this race and you finish it that it gives you this like great feeling that you feel proud of yourself and excited and it's like it always gives you a good feeling you know and yeah. i feel like people are very stoked about this race like spectators like maybe not last year but before would be very supportive and it's like at the beginning of the season so you never know what to expect from other riders and it's like a you kind of it's like a gamble, you know. You don't know what to do because you haven't raced with the girls for a couple of months. So just like try to read each other's faces: who's strong, who's not, who's suffering. So and also like with the gravel sections, we constantly constantly have to be focused on what's next. So we race for like 144 k's, but it goes by super fast because you're just like in it you know you're so focused and concentrated that nothing uh like distracts you or makes you wonder about unnecessary things so i really feel that it's nice to like put this race mode on and maintain it until the finish line it isn't i mean i it's a race i've never done but uh it's a race that i've been very lucky to be there and commentate on site for uh, mm-hmm. and it is an amazing it's one of my favorite races to watch and and it does seem to me and i think to many observers and many fans of the sport it feels like the race isn't just 10 years old or so i know the women's yeah. edition slightly newer it feels like it's a monument that's been around for 50 to 100 years it, it does it, it doesn't it? It, it it's so rich 
uh, the, the finish, the finish in Siena, the epic nature of the parkour, the fact, as you said, you don't know people's form coming into it. There's also the weather. It can be really hot or it can be wet and attritional. Mm-hmm. Some of your best performances I know have been when it's been really cold, yeah. but um, it's, it's really exciting on so many levels, isn't it? I know. Exactly. I totally agree with you. No, it's a very, very special race. And let's hope, fingers crossed, we, we, we're going to get one. Uh, we're going to get one this year. Um, it's, yeah, things aren't looking great at the moment, but let's yeah. think, think, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And what, what, while we're sticking with racing, um, Cassia, um, obviously one of your biggest wins ever, or maybe your, your, I mean, I don't know whether you consider it to be your biggest win was 2019 Amstel Gold. Yeah. Um, and again, I was very lucky to be there on the line um, <laughs> with, with Rob Hatch commentating. Um, and it was an amazing, both men's and women's races were amazing, but to, to see you in, in the manner that you did win that race was, was, was very, very special. But I'd, and I don't know how many times you've said this to people, what I'd like to know, could you just talk to me about the approach to the final climb and what was going through your mind before you attacked? Because the, the psychology of cycling really fascinates me and, and the way people cope. So were you nervous coming into the final or were you super confident? Just describe that kind of feeling to me. Um, so I feel like there were a couple of very important moments in that race. Like after 30 Ks, uh, CCC, they started to attack really hard. And basically Peloton was shredded into like 30 persons group. And yeah. I remember that I really suffered at that moment. And I was like, oh, what were you thinking? Like hoping that you're in the great shape because I felt really good before that race and at that point I was like oh no like I'm so naive like the girls are so strong I'm gonna drop soon like I had this really bad thoughts moment okay and then we started to go further and I started to feel that okay I'm coming back like okay I'm recovering fast it's gonna be good it's gonna be good I was on like the only one from my team so I didn't have to uh, make anything basically i just was sitting and controlling the the group that i was in and then we hit the laps and a lot of attacks happened but i started to feel that okay i'm good i'm recovering uh, i got this and then like two laps to go i just like did my thing i wasn't attacking i just wanted to be in the front of the group and then i saw that the girls are dropping from me and i was like huh Okay. Uh, that that's a good sign, and I was like getting very conf- um, confident about it, and I was like, "Man, okay, drink it. I feel good. I feel good. I got this." And I won this. I won on Cowboy before in 2016. Mm. So I was like, "Okay, uh, I just need to be first in one of the first in the corner, and I just knew where I have to go, where I have to attack." And I was, to be honest, I was excited. I was like ready to do it. I couldn't wait for the last lap. I just wanted to have it right now. And I was just like hoping that there won't be any like dangerous breakaway. So the gap will be too big and I will not be able to close it. Everything happened like on my face to to my favorite, I would say, because the girls closed the gap between the breakaway and then I attacked and I could just hear that like, I could hear that I don't hear anything anymore. And right. that gave me extra power. Yeah. So like I could feel that there's no breathing on my wheel. There's no like shifting anything. And I was like, 
oh damn like oh my goodness i know i know what to do now it's just like don't look around and just push as hard as you can and i remember just like seeing the top of the cowberg and then like praying that okay i just need to i was lucky to also have a tailwind at that moment yeah so yeah it was it was cool somehow i knew that i did i knew that i'm gonna get it amazing because it it was such an exciting ride because you'd obviously i mean and when you look at the two when you look at the podium and when you when you think about the way you came into the sport the way you found out who the big the important riders were when you look at the podium mariana voss third Annemiek van Vluten second and she nearly caught you but not quite and when you look at that podium that podium it must be you know still very I mean it's I know you should always look forward in kind of sport but occasionally to look back and reflect on your achievements I think is very very important and something that's often overlooked so you must be immensely proud of that ride and 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 obviously have a lot of respect for the riders that you beat but to have that kind of podium it's it's a very iconic podium isn't it yeah it is definitely Oh yeah, it it was a very good day, and yeah, I just I feel like when I think about it, to be honest, like quite often think about my dad because I remember talking with him afterwards and just like hearing how excited and proud of me he was. Yeah, like that was really beautiful. Because sometimes I feel like after race, it, it's such a pity that actually you cannot celebrate a victory or a good result with anyone because it's like. You are taken to to the podium, to the press conference, to the doping control, and then everyone is or on their way to to the airport or hotel, and then you focus on another goal. So sometimes I just miss like having this moment to purely enjoy like um, magical moments that just happen, you know, without yeah. being taken away to a different other locations. I uh, do. You, have you watched it back much? On, on video <laughs> <laughs> like whenever like before important races I would watch it just to feel just to gain my confidence like mm. before Europeans last year I would watch it to just like remember remind myself that okay I have this attack like it killed some good riders before so I can do it like because of course, when you, it's very. I mean, if you're anemic, for example, she would win a lot of races. But if you're not her, you don't win that many races much. So you really need to remind yourself that you got this. Like it's not that you lost it; you have it. Yeah. Maybe your mind is somehow holding you from from achieving your goals. But I would definitely use that video to boost my confidence up. That, that, that's really 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 interesting i mean i know a lot of riders like to just move on and but there's been a, a lot of research done and a lot a lot of uh there's a lot more understanding about how important it is to remind yourself of your own ability because we all know how brutal cycling is and we know how how tough it is and it's very easy even if you've had success if you don't have success for a while you can start to not believe in yourself but fundamentally you are the same, the very, very same person, aren't you? Exactly. And it's just, you, you do need often your coaches or your loved ones or just yourself to tell you, it's still me. I, I can do, I have done it and therefore I can do it again. But I think we often forget that. It's a very simple thing yeah. to do, isn't it? But the, the fact that you've done that, it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really easy. Like when you have a one rider who's very dominant, like Annemiek or Anna van der Bruggen, it's very easy to think that you're less, 
that you're not as strong as they are. But the truth is that we are all equally strong. The extra percentage is your willpower, like yeah. your mind. And it's I'm working on it, but it's like really difficult to remind yourself about this <laughs> during the race. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's no, it's it's really interesting. I didn't honestly know what your answer would be because I've, I've I have asked that to other people before, and they said no, I never I never watch anything. But that's a really oh, really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I think everyone watches themselves. You know, we just say like no, no, but <laughs> their name, everyone checks. I don't know Wikipedia. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, from from Amstel Gold to um, I mean, obviously this year will be the first ever women's Paris Roubaix, which is long overdue. Do you? What are your thoughts on that race? I mean, obviously you're you're one of a you're a lighter rider, a climber, but but a rider that likes the attritional races. And if there's ever going to be an attritional race, it's going to be Paris Roubaix. What are your thoughts on on your own on on riding that? Is it something that you would like to do? Uh, I definitely would like to do Paris Roubaix, but not this year. I feel like okay. I want to focus on my goals, and sure. I don't believe that Paris Roubaix would help me. Uh, prepared to our dance classics. I feel like I know that each season after a tour of Flanders, I would be quite tired and I would have to take like five days off. Uh, not completely off, but just like riding easy without any efforts. Just yeah. to like take a breath and build like the, the or add, add extra touch to, to building my shape. So yeah, this year I don't believe that I will be on the start line although i do believe that it's amazing opportunity for so many girls to shine let's say because yeah. yeah it's gonna be cool to watch i'm really excited actually to be on the other side of the screen to be honest because um, i mean but also at the same time i'm kind of sad that i will not be doing the first edition of paris Roubaix. but yeah i mean it's maybe it's easier for me to say no to these races because I know that it's not the the best profile for me. Yeah, it's more like for Ellen Van Dyke or Chantal Black. Sure, fantastic. I mean, I, I I must admit, I think I think for a lot of people, you know, the women's Paris Bay is going to be one one of the highlights of the year. It's going to be so fascinating because we've never yeah. seen it before. I am, for one, very very excited about watching that, and I'm also excited for the future as well because you know there are there's talk of course of uh, of a tour de france and and to have a tour de france and the women's giro i mean um it's it's long awaited and although we haven't got firm confirmation yet i mean it's it's something that uh, is long overdue isn't it yeah i mean that sounds amazing to me to be honest i haven't done um any like deeper research about this race i heard that we would have like some girls were saying 10 to 14 days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, having another big tour next to Giro Rosa would be super cool. And I know that there were so many girls fighting for La Course to become bigger from just like having one day then to two days. So having two weeks tour would be, yeah, would be so great. I mean... It's really nice to also think that there are young girls who are just coming to the sport and, you know, they're entering a completely different reality to what we entered, like, even five years ago. So it's really nice to see that improvement and just to feel that there are people who 
wants to help us, that they're not just talks, but people are making actions and they are really fighting for women's cycling or women's sport to become more visible and to just like constantly grow. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, just on that point, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what is the kind of atmosphere like at, at, a, at a women's race within the, within the kind of peloton in relation to, you know, uh, the way things are, the, the kind of improvements that are still kind of needed? Do you guys really talk about that so much or is it more the press? I mean, is there is there a real sense within the women's peloton that you're heading in the right direction, but there's still more to be done? Or is it not really kind of spoken about? Um, like, I feel like we all know it. It's like we all know that there is still, like, quite a big room for improvement, although it's also not a topic that we want to, like, talk about over the dinner. Sure. So it's like every now and then we mention, we talk about it, but it's not, like, a hot topic for sure. I sure. mean, each of us is, like, thinking, okay, what could we do to make a change? I feel like right now a lot of women start to believe in the, themselves and their power and they're not afraid to speak up. So I feel like with that, we are, we're realizing that, okay, actually, if we want to change something, we need to take our steps. Maybe like not right now when being like focused on certain race, but like thinking about the future when you retire and like thinking how can you help next generation to have a different reality. It's like something that definitely we mention every now and then. Good stuff. It's, it's it's good to hear, and it, I think it is. I think it's exciting times ahead for for, for women's sport in general. Uh, and finally, it's getting the kind of parity and the recognition that it is always deserved, but but never had. Um, now, I know you're as you've described, you're a big fan of food. Uh, you're a big fan yeah. of cooking, baking, and stuff. Now, Cassie, what are you like um, with snacks? Are you a big fan of snacks? I'm the fan number one. <laughs> Okay, so uh, okay, so what we've got next? Uh, again, did you manage to? I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but did you manage to listen to one of the previous podcasts? You're gonna like make some sounds now, and I have to get what exactly. Doing. Yeah, I'm gonna make some sounds. I'm gonna make some snack based sounds. I like the I like the way you said you're gonna make some sounds. But yes, I am. I am. Good. It is time, Cassia, and we've got a little jingle coming up for guess that snack. Guess that snack. Did you like that jingle? Yeah, I like that jingle this time. Kind of Christmassy. It's yet yeah, yeah, I never really thought of it like that. It's kind of Christmassy. Now, for an extra bonus point, do you know who sung that? Oh my goodness. Can I hear it one more time, please? Yep, go for it. Niall? Guess that snack. Guess that snack. Oh yeah, guess that snack. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you reckon it is? Is it like a pro cyclist? It is a pro cyclist. Oh my goodness! When you won Amstel Gold, she was in sixth place. She was in sixth place? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh... 
I know you were focused on winning, so don't you don't you didn't really need to no, worry yourself. Really but I, I shall tell you, I shall put you out of your misery. It's Cecile Utrup Ludwig. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, seriously, yeah. She she was one of our earliest uh, guests on the podcast, and uh, I asked her to sing it, and she did, and we put some music to it, and it's the theme uh, ever since. So thank you very much, Cecile oh, Utrup Ludwig. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. There you go. So um, it is time for Guess That Snack. It's very The rules are very simple. You already kind of know what the rules are. I am going to crunch my way through four different snacks, and you have to guess what they are. But obviously, if, at first, I will tell you what the snacks are, okay? Okay. So um, I've recently been to the supermarket yesterday and got some new snacks. So they're all fresh. And um, when they're fresh, they're more crunchy, as you know. Um, so we have... Just going to open the packet. Actually, we have toffee popcorn. Okay, so it's obviously regular popcorn, but it's covered in a little kind of toffee coating. Okay, um, we also have something that you will know very, very well: Pringles. Ooh, yeah. Okay, and these are Texas barbecue flavor. Not that the flavor is going to affect the crunch at all, but Texas barbecue Pringles. Uh, next up. We have Cheetos. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I've got a little bag of Cheetos there. The kind of cheesy American corn-based snack. I think they're corn. Yeah. Um, and then finally, another American classic, Doritos. Ooh. Okay. okay. So I'll just go through them again. We've got toffee yeah. popcorn. We've got Pringles. We've got Cheetos. And we've got Doritos. So in no particular order, I am now going to put the first one in my mouth, crunch it. I'm going to move away my pop shields. I'm going to get really close to the microphone. Uh, and, you, and, and Cassia, it's time to guess that snack. In goes the first one. Here we go. What is this? Is it a Pringle? Is it a Cheeto? Is it a toffee popcorn? Is it a Dorito? Dorito. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think that is Dorito you think it's a, it, it was not a Dorito no oh no okay we've still got time to turn this around don't worry stay focused pretend you're coming into the final of Amstel Gold at the bottom of the Coburg stay focused Cassia here we go alright what is this it's going, coming, it's going in now here we go Oh, what did you say? Cheetos. Cheeto, correct. <laughs> Brilliant. Good stuff. So you're you're back on a roll now. Okay. You're in the zone. You're nice and focused. Next up that, is that, this. Okay, so here we go. Stay focused. Oh, that's a Zorita. Or no, Pringle. That was Pringles. It's a Pringle, correct? <laughs> Brilliant. So, two out of three. Finally. Well, not finally. No, not quite there yet, but what is this? And oh, this is the final one, so it's going in now. Stay focused. <laughs> Dorito. Oh. Correct. That is a Dorito. Brilliant stuff. 
And the crowd, the crowd, the studio audience are absolutely wild. Three out of four. So well done, Cassie and you, Edoma. Great stuff. Um, <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I hope it's not made you kind of too hungry anyway. Um, but um, but, Ka- but Cassie, it's been, do you know what, we're, we're going to have to wrap things up now. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, and I've learned, I think people will have kind of learned a lot more about your kind of uh, your trajectory, your kind of the way you come into cycling, and it's always a pleasure, um, always a pleasure hanging out with you. Although this is obviously virtually, but um, just thanks very much for coming on, and hopefully I'll see you on the road at some point this year. Yeah, for sure. Stay safe, and thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much indeed. Take care, Cassia. Bye bye. Well, that was a lot of fun. Cassie is a real bright spark and a consummate professional. I hope she continues to blaze a trail with more excellent results in the 2021 racing season. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to any of the 2,100 people native to Ohadnitsagorna if you happen to meet one. 9 out of 10 folks, that's near perfect Polsky pronunciation. And finally, a huge thanks to Cassie for being the first guest to multitask by foam rolling throughout the podcast. Incredible. Thanks all, goodbye, and stay safe. Oh, I've got it written down phonetically. Ohodnitsa. Can you... Can you write that down? So basically, O, O-H, dash, uh, hot, H-O-T, dash, N-I-T, dash, C-A. Do you want Gorda written out as well, or are you happy with that one? I'm, I'm, Gorda is fine. I was amazed that I got that right without actually, because it's just basically pr- pretty phonetic, the, f- the final one. Here we go. I'll just you leave this out. You know this is all going into the podcast. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, blimey.